um, just before I start, um, as a reminder that we're, we're going to be involved in, in um, putting on a stall with a couple of other churches at the Lambeth Country Show, which is on Saturday the 15th of September. So um, there'll be more, some more information out about that shortly. But um, if you're around and you've got some availability on the 15th, that would be great. Just to get involved in that. But I think there'll be more information about that um, in the next week or so that you'll be able to pick up. Okay, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your presence with us. Uh, we don't deserve it, uh, but you give it so graciously and lavishly. And we're so grateful, Lord, that you come and inhabit the praises of your people. We're so grateful. And uh, pray right now that you'd come be with us in this next few minutes. As we hear from your word, I pray that it would speak to us. Uh, thank you that it speaks on its own without me having to say anything. I pray it would do that. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. I was talking to John earlier in the week, on Tuesday, he said, what are you preaching on? And I said, I don't know, I don't, I don't know. I've got all these ideas and I don't know. So I didn't settle on this until a couple of days ago, but I've, I felt drawn to it. And I do feel it's not just for us as individuals, I do feel it's for us as, as a church and as a body. So I hope it's going to be helpful and useful. I'm going to read in a moment a little bit about the life of Jacob. And this uh, part of his life happens uh, at a moment when he is uh, just about to face his brother. Now, his brother Esau, he had stolen away Esau's birthright. And uh, many years later, he's going through the part of the country where Esau lives uh, with his family. And by then, Jacob has two wives and two mistresses and... And, uh, you know, his life has been something like an episode of the Jeremy Kyle show up to now. Um, it's not been a great example of walking with God. However, there have been moments when he has encountered God. And uh, he's just about to go th back to the land where his father Isaac lives. That's what God's told him to do. He's told him to go back to the land where Isaac lives. And to do that, he's got to go through this part of the country where his brother lives, Esau. And Esau is, at the moment, is his enemy. And so what Jacob does is he sends some of his servants to, on a sort of a, an advance party to find out how the land lies with Esau. And they come back and they say, uh, Esau's on his way to meet you with 400 men. And uh, so at this point, Jacob then decides... Well, what I'll do is I'll send forward some gifts and I'll divide my family and everything I have in two. And his thinking is that if Esau slaughters and wipes out one half of his family, well, at least he might have half of it left. And it's at this point where we pick up the story. He's just uh, divided his family into two and his, all his possessions in the hope that maybe some will survive the anger of Esau. And then we pick up the passage uh, just at this point. So Genesis chapter 32, and we pick up the story at verse 22. That night Jacob got up and took his two wives and his two maidservants and his eleven sons, and he crossed the ford of Jabok. After he'd sent them across the stream, 
he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it's daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then Jacob said, then the, sorry, then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. And that word Israel means he struggles with God. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it's because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Uh, when I was a young boy, I lived uh, with my uh, grandmother and a great aunt. They lived downstairs, and my family and I, we lived upstairs. And uh, for most of you won't know this, but on Saturday afternoons, back in the 70s and 80s, uh, amongst all the other sport, so you'd get the decent sport on BBC. You know, there'd be the football and the rugby and whatnot would be on BBC. On ITV, they'd have the wrestling, okay? And uh, the wrestling was not like WWF stuff that you see now. It was basically these... Rather, usually they were quite large, rather overweight, greasy guys, you know, in the middle of a ring, uh, wrestling it out. And um, as I say, we lived upstairs, and my grandmother and my great aunt lived downstairs. And my great aunt had been a missionary in Canada, and she was a, a lovely, gentle lady. My grandmother was a bit more feisty, but, you know, she, nevertheless, these were two elderly ladies and uh, the highlight of their week seemed to be the wrestling on Saturday <laughs> afternoons and sometimes I would go downstairs and I would sit with them and um, it's only afterwards it's only sort of in later life as I've reflected back I've realized that I think probably most of these wrestling matches were a put-up job but I don't think my aunt and my grandmother realized that at all <laughs> and there was one wrestler whose name was Mick McManus okay and he was the wrestler that everybody loved to hate. And he was quite fat, and he had jet black hair. And the camera would always pick up these moments when uh, Mick McManus, who would normally be fighting some, wrestling with some young, innocent, fresh-faced-looking young man, okay, who looked like he'd only just got in the ring for the first time that day, and the camera would pick up these shots of when Mick McManus was smashing his head illegally against one of the bars of the ring, you know, and the camera would pick it up and it would be like the ref hadn't seen it. And my grandmother and my aunt, they would be shouting out of the television, listen what he's just done. Oh, he's a brute, isn't he? He's a brute, isn't he? Oh, he really is. Their blood pressure was up. And, uh, and uh, it, was, it was great to watch. It was something I still remember to this day, how these two gentle old ladies would be screaming, 
at this brute on the television every Saturday afternoon with the wrestling. And uh, I, I don't think this wrestle between this man and Jacob was like that. But as I've read this passage, which is probably one of the most oddest sections of the Bible, I've realised, it just happens. It just seems to happen. There's nothing that leads up to it. You can't say, oh, well, this, this is a logical conclusion of the story. I can see, you know, he's meet, uh, Jacob is about to meet with his brother and he needs God's help. And so, yes, he's going to get on his knees. Yeah, I can understand he might do that. And, and suddenly God speaks and says, I'll be with you. And faith rises in Jacob. All of that type of thing I might expect. But this, this incident just seems to come out of the blue. Jacob sends his family across the river. He is anticipating probably a battle with his brother where half of his family are going to get wiped out. And uh, he has prayed before this, but then he's left alone. The Bible says he's alone. And this man appears to wrestle with him. Do you know, as I've looked at that, I've, I've thought, do you know, there's some lessons in this. First of all, we mustn't be too quick to attribute hardship to other things. When we, get, when we hit hardship in life, I don't know how you process it, but it's easy to think, oh, things are going badly for me at the moment. Maybe I'm under spiritual attack. Maybe I need to manipulate my circumstances so I can get out of this as quickly as I possibly can. That's the story of Jacob's life up to this point, in fact. And he's been a deceiver, and he's manipulated life to get it to work the way he wants it. And sometimes, you know, when life is hard, and it feels like it's a bit of a struggle, it's not always that we're under attack. Sometimes it may be, but it's not always that. Sometimes we're actually wrestling with God himself. Sometimes we're wrestling with God. We mustn't be too quick to attribute hardship to other things. And at first, it says in the passage that, that it was a man wrestling with Jacob. The passage says it was a man. By the end of the passage, Jacob is aware and is realising, actually, I've just been struggling with God. And it's really important for us to Remember that sometimes, although it may appear that we are struggling with other people or with circumstances, that actually what we're really doing is that God has appeared and the struggle is with him. I had a really difficult uh, period at work last term, probably the most difficult season of my working life for many, many years. I've always loved going to work and last term there were really days when I just didn't want to go to work. And uh, it was a real struggle. Uh, it, was, it was brought about by some circumstances, but also by uh, s- some, some new management that came into the school. And for a while, I attributed my struggle to a person, really. Oh, it's new management's come in, it's an, it's re- and, and they seem to be opposing me. And, and everything I do, ch- I'm ch- getting challenged on. And it was really uncomfortable. And I think for quite a long time, I, I probably wanted to squirm and get out of it and 
try and find ways to circumvent it and cover it up and divert the attention to someone else so that, you know, it would be off my back. But it was, as the term went on, that I think I became aware through God's grace that actually this was, this was, this was more than just me struggling with somebody at work. Because as I was going through this process, I realized actually God was doing some stuff in me about my pride. Because actually one of the things I was really struggling was, with was, I've been here a long time. I know what I'm doing. And you're coming in from outside and you think you can tell me what to do and that you know better than me. And I realized that actually, boy, have I got some pride issues here. And I think I did come to this conclusion about halfway through the term that actually this was more than just me having a trouble with somebody in management. Actually, God was in this. I was wrestling with God. And he was wrestling with me about my pride. And uh, he's still got quite a way to go with that. But I, I think at the moment when I recognised it, that this is, more, this is more than just it being about a difficulty I've got with a personality. Somehow things changed for me. The pressure didn't change, but the way that I began to view it and process it changed. And my prayers started to change. And I started to pray, oh God, teach me what you want to teach me through this. Do what you want to do in me through this. And it didn't get, it didn't get easier for some time, but nevertheless... The way I processed it helped me to think, okay, thank you, God, you're doing something and I want to cooperate with you. Um, R.T. Kendall uses a phrase, uh, dignify the trial, he says. When you're going through something that's tough, dignify the trial. What he means is don't escape it, don't look away from it, don't try and circumvent it, don't run, dignify the trial. Some of you here I know in your lives, and because I, I, you know, I know some of you and I've met with some of you and worked through some stuff with some of you, and I've just been so impressed with the way that with some of you, you've, you've hit trial and it would have been easy for you to run. But you didn't run. You dignified the trial. Don't run when you hit trial. Don't run. Dignify the trial. There's a verse that came up on the screen just a little while ago from James. Let perseverance finish its work. Let perseverance finish its work. When life is a struggle and we are working through stuff with God, sometimes we can think, I'm on this journey. I'm here. I'm now hit bad stuff, difficulty, I just want to get to the other side of it. I want to get to the other end of it. That's what the world, how the world views difficulty. It's okay, I'm here, I've got this problem, let's solution it and get to the other side. And of course it's right to pray and to seek solutions when life is difficult, of course it is. But also we should dignify that bit in the middle. Paul, uh, sorry, James says, let perseverance finish its work. There's something about hitting trials and tests where there's an opportunity for perseverance to finish its work. 
a bit later in that passage, James describes what perseverance does. He says, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. That's probably how I know and can distinguish in my life when a trial is not some sort of spiritual attack, but it's actually got something of God in it. I'm wrestling with him. Somehow, I sense it's developing my spiritual muscle. When I wrestle with God, it's developing my spiritual muscle. Perseverance has work to do And that work is so that we may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And Paul says suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope, and hope doesn't disappoint us. Uh, R.T. Kendall said that the worst trial of his life became the best thing that ever happened to him. The worst trial of his life became the best thing that ever happened to him. But wrestling with God isn't risk-free. And we see in that uh, story that in the middle of wrestling, the man, who it clearly becomes clear later on is actually God, uh, some uh, theologians and commentators say that actually it it may have been Christ, touches Jacob's hip and brings his socket out of joint. And it says then that he limps. It doesn't tell us whether he limps for the rest of his life or whether he just limps for a period. But sometimes when we are wrestling with God, it's not risk-free. Sometimes there is pain in it. I wonder how Jacob afterwards uh, dealt with what God had done when he touched him. Why, God, why did God do that? Why did God touch him and put his hip out of joint? Well, there are a number of different ideas about why, but I think probably one of them was that God was just showing him at that moment that, yes, you're, just, remember, just, just be aware of who you're wrestling with. Just be aware of who you're wrestling with. Uh, I've got uh, some friends who I babysit for every now and then. Uh, I don't see them as much now that I'm here because they were friends back at King's. And they have a, a four-year-old whose name is Ben. And uh, when I babysit, what I quite like to do is I like to take stories. And so I have my bag with stories in. And I'm hoping for a quiet evening. And uh, sometimes I've babysat for uh, Bill and Jen and it's great because their kids love stories. And so we, we sit and we have stories in bed and we have good conversation and, and then they go to bed. Okay. Ben is not like this. Though ben is one of four children and I take books when I babysit there. Ben is not interested in the main in the books. Ben wants to fight. This is what Ben wants to do. Uh, I mentioned in my email that I was at New Day like Owen was. And I got a text when I was at New Day to say that this family, uh, who I babysit for, were on their way because they also were going to New Day. And uh, I got a text from uh, the wife, from Sarah, and she said, oh, I've, I've just, uh, Ben has been asking who's going to be at New Day. And so I've told him a few people, and I've mentioned your name, and he said, he must fight. 
must fight. And that's basically what happens every time I go to Ben's house. Pretty much as soon as I'm through the door, he he takes a running leap at me, and that pretty much then is the next two hours. It's better than going to the gym. And uh, and uh, he, I have to be aware, of course, that I could hurt him. I have to say that as he has got bigger, it's much more likely that he's going to hurt me because he's quite a, a toughie. And, uh, but we will spend... He, he never tires. I've realised, I said to his mum, do, do you know what, I think his love language is fighting. That's what it is. And, uh, and so it's great fun. And do you know, I think it's a bit like that when we wrestle with God. We've heard this morning about how important it is for us to realise the extent of his love for us and his grace for us. And when it feels like we're wrestling with God over something and it's tough and it's hard, actually it's more like a father wrestling with their child, one of those play fights. What are they doing? They're building up their muscle and their coordination and all of that sort of stuff. But they're also very aware that actually what they could do is crush the child. I could still probably just about do Ben some really major harm. And I now have to be careful when I'm play fighting with him. And it says in the Bible that God is the best father. And when we are wrestling with him and it feels like life is a little bit of a struggle and we are wrestling with him and it's difficult and sometimes it's painful, it is like a child wrestling with their father. He will never crush you. He will never crush you. It may hurt. And you may bear a scar afterwards. But he will never crush you. He will do it for your good. There was one that the father did crush. And I think when we look at the Old Testament, so much of it points towards what's coming. And when we read in that passage that God touched Jacob and put his hip out of joint, but he didn't crush him, it reminds us that there was one that he did crush. He crushed his own son so that we would never need to be crushed. Because actually that's what we deserve. What we deserve is not the play fighting. What we deserve is to be crushed because of our sin. But instead of crushing us, he crushed another so that we might never need to be crushed. Wrestling with God is not risk-free but he doesn't crush. I read recently a, a, a really moving talk, sermon, from a woman called um, Joni Erickson Tarda, and she's um, some, somebody who some of you will have heard of. She um, was uh, paralysed in a diving accident uh, over 30 years ago uh, from the neck down, and she has to be cared for pretty much 24 hours a day. She has carers for her. Um, but through all of that, God's done some amazing stuff in and through her. And as I was reading what her talk, she described how when she first came out of hospital, she went through the process of listing all the stuff that God had done, was doing in her as a result of this horrendous accident and what she wouldn't know at that stage was that she would also be used powerfully across the world to speak and uh, minister to lots and lots of people thousands and thousands over the years 
But one of the things that she said in this talk, which was really powerful, was she said this. Suffering hearts need a person, not an answer. I'll be the first to tell you that when your heart is wrung out like a sponge, a list of 16 biblical reasons as to why this is all happening can sting like a wound. And then she goes on to say this. God gives himself, not a list of answers. He is the answer. He doesn't give us a bunch of words. He is the word. The word made flesh. Nails gouged. Hands nearly ripped off. Spat upon. Beaten. Bloody. Hatred hammering. These aren't merely dry theoretical facts about the Lord Jesus. This isn't love as an abstract idea. No, as someone has said, this is love poured out like wine as strong as fire. When life hurts and it feels like somehow God's in it, we're struggling with one who loves us. And, you know, I felt that that was sort of a bit of a word for us as a church. It feels like sometimes that, that when you're planting a new church, and this is still a church in its infancy, that it feels like it's a wrestle and it's hard. And, yes, this week, one of the things we'll do is we will pray um, against spiritual forces. It's right to do that. The Bible tells us to do that. But actually, sometimes what we're doing is we're actually wrestling with God. He appears out of nowhere, and suddenly we find we're wrestling with him. And Are we praying again? What, are we doing this three days of prayer again? Yeah, come on, we're going to wrestle with him again. Starting up community groups again? Yeah. Meeting in this big barn of a place when there's only a few of us? Yes. Yes, we are. Do you know, it's interesting... If God had appeared to wrestle with Jacob at any stage earlier in his life, I wonder whether Jacob would have held on like he did. Jacob, if you look at what his life was like, most likely would have run. He wouldn't have held on. But there's a sense of tenacity and almost desperation in Jacob at this point in his life where he just holds on and he says, I won't let go until you bless me. I'm not going to let go until you bless me. Uh, When we met with Dave Holden, who's a guy who we talk with a lot about the the church here and who sort of covers us a little bit, he said, uh, you may remember, he said, I think on the Sunday when we had elders set apart, he said that when he meets with with guys like us who are just planting a new small church, he said "There's there's a tenacity about them that you don't find sometimes in bigger churches. There's a tenacity They won't let go. They keep pushing forward. Whatever it seems like and however it looks, they keep holding on. I must admit, when I came here from a bigger church, I didn't feel tenacious particularly. But you find over time that God begins to build a tenacity into you. And that's what he says to us. If we weren't ready to wrestle over some of the things that we wrestle about as a church our size and where we meet and all of that stuff. It's almost as if God says, I I, I wouldn't appear to wrestle with you about those things if I didn't feel you were ready. 
you're ready. Let perseverance finish its work. Come on, come on. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said that one of the worst things that can happen to a young man is that they can succeed too early. They can succeed too early. Do you know, I think that's probably the same about a church. You wonder sometimes if, if God's saying, yeah, okay, if you succeed too early, there's a whole load of stuff you're going to miss and your foundation's not going to be strong enough. And actually, I want guys and girls who are going to persevere. I want guys and girls in this church who are going to have character and maturity so that everything good can be given to them. And I'm going to develop that in them. And I'm going to wrestle with them. Will you hold on? Will you hold on with tenacity to him as we wrestle together as a church? As it sometimes feels a struggle, are we going to hold on? Are you going to run? Or are you going to hold on? Are we going to hold on and say, God, until you bless us, we're not letting go. Until you bless us, we're not going to let go. And then at the end of the story, God blesses Jacob and he gives him a new name. Up until this moment, Jacob's name has sounded like the Hebrew word for heal. And the implication of that word in Hebrew is a deceiver, a usurper. It's not great. It's interesting how God, who knows all things, says to Jacob, tell me what your name is. And Jacob comes to this point where he has to face it again. Heal, that's what my name is, Heal. It's a great name. I thought my name was bad enough. Philip means lover of horses. But, you know, it's not not great. I don't feel that's a particularly great name. But it's better than Heal. It's better than Heal. And uh, Jacob's name is Heal. And it's like God says to him, what's your name? And he says, Heal. And he says, no, you're going to have a new name. Your name is, your name is, you wrestle with with God, because that's what Israel means. You wrestle with God, you do. And he says, I'm calling you Israel because you've wrestled with God and man and you've overcome, you've prevailed. Do you know, I get a sense about that as a church. If we hold on, if we carry on the fight, if we carry on wrestling with him, there's the time when the morning comes. When the morning comes and God says, great, blessing, I'll change your name now. Now I know you wrestle. Yes, you do, you wrestle and you're going to prevail. So as we go into another new season, we come back from holiday, feeling a little lethargic, thinking, is it going to be like this forever? He says, you're going to wrestle? You're going to hold on till I bless you? You're going to hold on personally in your individual lives when you hit struggle. You're going to hold on as a church. You're going to run. Oh, God, no, we're not going to run. We're going to hold on. We're going to wrestle. We won't let go till he blesses us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that when life is hard and tough and it feels like a struggle, that when we belong to you, we can be utterly confident that somehow you're in it, that somehow you'll use it, that you have a game plan. And although 
you don't tempt. The Bible says that you don't tempt any man, yet we do sense that sometimes the struggle that is brought about in our lives, you're in it somewhere. And we don't want to let go, oh God. When life's difficult, we don't want to let go. We want to turn to you and know that you are the Father who loves us, who allows stuff to happen, and who says, let perseverance finish its work. And so, Father, we want to tell you today again that we want perseverance to finish its work in us and in this church. We want perseverance to finish its work so that we might be fully mature, so that we might be in a position for you to pour out your blessing, to bring increase, to save the lost. Oh, God, that's what we pray. And so we tell you again, God, that with your strength and only in your strength, we keep holding on and we're not going to let go till you bless us. Will you help us, oh God? Will you see our hearts? And thank you that, God, one day the morning will come and you will bless and you give us a new name. Oh God, until that time we tell you, but we won't let go until you bless us. Amen.